This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and I'm so grateful for this time with you each week as we explore together the amazing life and mission that God has called each of us to. My guest this week, Everett Fritz, has many years of experience serving the church, so he has seen up close what has worked and what hasn't worked when it comes to following Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples. And as Everett shared some of the highlights of his own conversion story, he mentioned that he'd grown up in a Catholic family, and he probably knew a lot of what the church had to say about a number of things, but it wasn't until he was a teenager that he really heard people give witness to their relationship with Christ, and it suddenly opened up this possibility of having an actual friendship with the second person of the Holy Trinity. We're talking about God Himself who took on our humanity, dwelt among us, suffered, died, and rose from the grave, all so that we could live in eternal communion with Him and the saints and the angels in heaven. This is truly a friendship like no other. So Everett is right that if we're not witnessing to this relationship with Christ, then all we're left with is a nice story to tell. And don't get me wrong, I love a good story as much as the next person. But the story of the gospel is something different. It really is a call to conform our lives to the Son of God, to allow Him to to refashion all our ideas about freedom and love and the good life. And as we read the gospel, the words should leap off the page and into our hearts, setting us on a journey of ongoing conversion. And it is precisely from this this font of friendship with Christ that we are then sent forth on mission. And that's really a theme of my conversation with Everett. And as you listen, perhaps you can think of some of the people that God has placed in your own life at just the right moment, who served as instruments of God's grace. So please enjoy my conversation with Everett, and as always, I'll come back with a few words after the interview. I'm delighted to welcome Everett Fritz to the show today. Everett is a speaker, author, and executive director of Andrew Ministries, and he's based out of Denver. Everett, it's great to have you on today. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Wonderful. Well, gosh, I'm so grateful for your time. And Everett, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, As you look back on the different chapters of your own story, um, could you highlight for us uh, some moments when you saw the Holy Spirit really at work in your own experience? And how did the Catholic faith uh, really start to take root in your own life? Oh, gosh, that could be several hours in in and of itself if I were to talk about all, all of the ways in which well, that could be days if I were to talk about how, how God has moved in my life. But 
uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I found my faith when I was 16. I'm a cradle Catholic, okay. uh, grew up Catholic, and my parents sent me to, to Catholic schools. They were devout Catholics, regular mass goers, et cetera. But I like to say that I, I in spite of all of that, uh, I, found, I found my faith in spite of all of that. Uh, and, wow. and it sounds bad, but it's just that my, my journey um, was, yeah, I, I feel like I didn't meet my first Christian outside of my parents until I was 16. And that's not because mm-hmm. I wasn't surrounded around by Christians every day, but no one talked about their faith. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so there was a, a moment in my life where um, I was 16. Um, we had just relocated as a family okay. uh, and um, due to job change and things of that nature in our family. And uh, and so I was getting, having to make a whole new set of friends and somebody invited me to go on a retreat, uh, that was loosely connected to my high school. And, um, I said yes, just so I could go and make some friends. And it was there on that weekend that people gave witness to their own walk with Christ and a personal relationship with Christ. And that was something that, that in 16 years of, of growing up Catholic, I'd never, I don't think I, at least I can't recall anyone actually talking about God and having a personal relationship with him. And so, um, so giving witness to like, and a lot of people, they, they gave your general charisma message, but as it related to their life. So I was a, I'm a sinner. This is the ways I've sinned. Um, this is how much of a mess my life was. I needed a savior. Jesus Christ saved me. And, and here's, how that's blessed my life. And there was a lot of testimonies like that on the retreat weekend. Uh, and it, it opened my eyes because from there I, I met a cute girl on the retreat weekend. Uh, and Retreats can be great for that. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that was a, a highlight. Um, and, uh, and we became good friends. And as I, as I became friends with her, I re- we started spending a lot of time together. And what I realized is she had had a massive conversion on that retreat weekend where she, started to give her life to Christ and turn away from sin. And she was a, a partier. Uh, and um, she started hanging out with me because I was the only friend she had started to become friends with that didn't drink on the weekends. And so because she was trying to turn away from sin, it was like, well, let me call up Everett and hang out with him this weekend because he's going to keep me out of trouble. And I didn't realize that I thought she had a crush on me. And, uh, <laughs> and so long story short, I had um, a significant moment where, where as a, as a teenager, I had a lot of uh, personal uh, chastity issues. Um, as I fell in love with this girl, uh, she was, um, uh, became an inspiration for me in the terms of, I, I realized that the way I was living my life and the way that, that I was, uh, my intentions towards young women, uh, were not, was not the person I wanted to be. And I heard God speak powerfully in my life because of that, uh, and a moment of conversion in my own basement and prayer and giving my life to Christ, et cetera. And so the, the short of it is, so she's now my wife of 16 years wow. and, um, and she's, she and I both basically walked with each other into the faith. Um, subsequently, once I gave my life uh, to Christ in terms of just my sinfulness and said, here, take this, um, uh, experiencing the freedom that that brought in my life. I was like, I'm, I'll give you my whole life. 
Uh, and so that's led me into a life of ministry. And uh, I discerned the priesthood, but I was also dating my future wife. That's a whole other <laughs> vocation story. And then, of course. you know, the, you learn to pray along the way. And, and I think that um, there were three people in particular that God put in my life that journeyed with me and at that mm-hmm. at crucial moments in my life. And one was a priest that when I was in high school that noticed that I was having a, um, a conversion in my life at the right moment. And he took an interest and really walked with me and accompanied me. Um, and his name was Father Brian Brownsey. Uh, and then Robert Kloska in, in South Bend, Indiana, when I was a student there for a couple of years, had a huge impact on my life. And mm-hmm. and then another priest by the name of Father John Ignatius had a huge Im- impact on my life when I was a student at Steubenville. And they were all, you know, I could tell you story after story after story, but those were those were people that made a difference uh, in my life and, and taught me how to pray and taught me, um, journeyed with me in struggles and, and things of that nature. So, uh, wow. an impact in my life in ministry, which I, I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, and, and Everett, just to, to get a sense of, um, again, how this is all translated into your life of ministry, could you just quickly walk us through what kind of ministry have you um, been active in? Yeah, so I'm uh, Andrew Ministries is, is a ministry that I founded several years ago, and uh, primarily I work in youth ministry. Uh, okay. And uh, but I'm I'm a big advocate. I've, I've gained a reputation for being uh, the person in the room that says, "Hey, the way we're doing youth ministry is not working," <laughs> and, and so I'm I'm kind of got the the reputation as the anti youth group youth minister. Uh, <laughs> at some point, 10, 11 years ago, I recognized that. Uh, the big youth group that I had built in the in the parish that I was working in wasn't actually producing lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. That those who were going through my program ended up they they would catch fire and they were well catechized and they would end up leaving the faith. Uh, and statistically, that's the case too. Those who I would pour into on a relational level that I ministered to one on one or in a small group setting. Uh, those were the ones who became lifelong followers. And so I started to experiment and flipped my model of ministry so that instead of one big large group, uh, I was doing 12 small groups, not myself, but I was training people to do small groups and so that we could divide and conquer and really individualize uh, uh, our attention to the young people we were working with. And the the results have been phenomenal. So now I consult in this area. Um, At one point I was working with the Augustine Institute building the Y Disciple Program, which Mm -hmm. this was our our, our vision for the ministry, I like to say that the biggest mistake we made with that program was we made it a program. And I have all the respect in the world for White Disciple. I'm friends sure. with them still, uh, but you can't program discipleship. Uh, discipleship, by definition, is not a program. And I would I would call White Disciple an excellent resource for discipleship type ministry. But uh, if you're looking for what's the best program to run uh, with young people to make them into lifelong followers, there is none. Um, the best program you can, what they need is, is are people to show them what the faith looks like. Uh, and uh, in fact, there was recently a, a three-year process done called the National Dialogue, which uh, in the United States, which resulted in like 10,000 conversations with young people around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really one quote that I pulled out of the the report, which was like an 80, no, several hundred, it was like a 150 page report or so. And there was a quote in there that, that uh, I found really interesting. And they said, we actually found that the young people we, we spoke with were pretty well catechized. And we think that the, that young people are not that well catechized. We found that they were, um, whether they believed the church teaching was a different story, yeah. but they actually understood and knew the church teaching, right. uh, 
but they said that the one thing that kept coming up over and over and over again was that young people were looking for someone to talk to, to dialogue with. They felt like there was more to be said around the church teachings that they had been taught. And in particular, they were looking for people in their lives who actually lived the faith, meaning they saw a lot of hypocrisy and they were looking for someone to actually show them, here's what Catholicism looks like. That by definition is discipleship. You, you know, that's what discipleship is supposed to do. Uh, and that's a, a huge gap that we are not hitting in our church today. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's great. And I, um, it, it reflects so well the experience that you had when you, ex- when you experienced that, that art of accompaniment, you mentioned those three people, you mentioned that cute girl who became your wife mm-hmm. <laughs> later on, but that experience of walking with another and someone coming alongside you and yeah. really showing like these, this is how, this is what it is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, the master. I, I was just at, uh, I spoke at the Napa conference, which is not my typical audience, but I was oh, there okay. a, a couple weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's a room full of Catholic influencers and, and philanthropists and a lot of leaders of Catholic ministry. And, uh, I called everybody out in the breakout session I was giving on why young people were, the, were leaving the church. And I said, can you all name three people that you are discipling right now? Because I'm a big believer that if you look at the Gospels, Jesus didn't just give us a message. He gave us a method Uh, that if you look at Jesus's large group ministry, and this is where I might say something heretical and you can edit this out. um, (laughs) If you check with your local bishop and say, is this okay?" But I think Jesus's large group ministry was largely a failure. In fact, I think it's it's you could make the argument um, that the divine plan to conquer the world. And there always was a plan to conquer the world was really focused in on 12 people. And even among 12, there was three. And even among three, there was one that Jesus's plan to conquer the entire world, rather than looking out into the masses and saying, how am I going to minister to all of these people? He looked out into the masses. He singled out one person and he said, how am I going to make that person into a great saint? And then once he figured that out and figured out how he was going to minister to Simon Peter, he multiplied from one to three and three to 12 and 12 to 72 and so on and so forth. So I find the best Catholics that I know, the ones who've really been ministered to, they can actually identify a person that has ministered to them uh, and say, basically, this was my rabbi because it was person to person. And so then in the room full of people, I said, can you all name three people? This is my favorite question to ask a bishop, by the way. Can you name three people? that you are personally ministering to right now. Give me their first names. Uh, I said, and if you can't, then you need to go to confession uh, because Jesus gave us the command to go and make disciples of all nations. That is a command and you should be able to identify, here's the people I'm pouring into. Yeah. Wow. I Is there sometimes a thundering silence to your question? <laughs> Somebody pulled me aside in the parking lot and was like, thank you for saying that I felt so called out by that because wow. I could not name anybody. Uh, and it was a young guy. Um, and it was a guy who was like running a ministry. And he was like, I can't name the three people. Uh, and he was like, I loved it. He's like, it was great. I felt so called out by it. Um, uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, there's a, the book that, you know, I'll promote at the end, but One Disciple at a Time, which just came out with Ave Maria Press, I, I found somebody wrote a review of it and they said the, the most powerful chapter was the first chapter because I do like an examination of conscience in the yeah. first chapter of basically, are you doing these things? Are you doing, you know, are you doing these things which don't make disciples? Are you yeah. <laughs> like, it, which drive people away? And are you doing these things which do? And I said, if you can't answer yes or no to the right questions, then go to confession first. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, man. So for those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Everett Fritz. He's a, a speaker, an author, and executive director of Andrew Ministries uh, based out of Denver. Um, I, I like how you're emphasizing also the sort of the lo- the localness, I guess, of evangelization. You know, I, I've, I've been thinking recently about, there's a, oh, this well-known quote by St. Catherine of Siena um, that's attributed to her. Uh, when you are where God intends you to be, to be, you will set the world on fire. And when I track down the original quote, and this often happens because they get kind of bent out of their original version, but I see it's from a letter where she writes, uh, when you are what you ought to be, you will set Italy on fire. And and I think it's interesting. She focused in on, on Italy originally, yeah. and we've kind of interpreted it as like, oh, you'll set the world on fire. And sometimes when we hear that, we hardly get out of the gate because we hardly know where to start. We're just like, okay, I guess we're responsible for the whole world now. But mm-hmm. the, the truth is we're not Everett, right? <laughs> like no, I, yeah. I'll take you one step further. Mother Teresa, and I'll, I'm going to butcher this quote because I'm terrible at remembering quotes, but she essentially that something to the effect of, of love everyone and start with the person in front of you. Uh, yeah. and, and Mother Teresa, whose missionaries of charity have grown massive, and they're all over the world in terms of their mission and ministry, and she won a Nobel Peace Prize. People know about her. She had the worst evangelization strategy I think I've ever... Like, if you were to put a room of evangelization specialists in a room together and say, come up with a strategy to conquer the world and grow massive, she probably had the worst strategy I've ever heard of. Like, she went to Calcutta, uh, a place that was neglected and no one was paying attention to. She found people dying in the streets and she went and she held them until they died. Uh, and then she would bury them and then she'd go to the next person. And the thing is, the, the, the reason being is she was like, somebody needs to love these people. They're literally dying alone in the streets. But as a strategy, like evangelization, if you're going to do evangelization, you want to minister to somebody and empower them to then take the gospel to somebody else. And so, mm-hmm. so it multiplies. Everyone she ministered to died. Like they couldn't take the gospel to anyone. So it was like, this is the worst strategy in terms of, of trying to spread the gospel. But what happened is somebody noticed what she was doing, another woman, and she said, can I join you? Because yeah. it was so radical and so powerful what she was doing. And then another person and then another person so that they had to start a home. And then it started as it turned into a hospice and, and things of that nature. And it just multiplied from there. Movements of the Holy Spirit, I find, always start small. Like the most powerful ministries, if you were to say, look at Focus, Fellowship of Catholic University Students, uh, which is massive in the United States, it started at one college campus with four missionaries, you know, Uh, and you could say that of most ministries that are really effective. Um, It's Mm -hmm. counterintuitive, but everything we do in Christianity is counterintuitive. Uh, It's the Jesus is, is a it's a sign of contradiction, you know, in order to, to live forever, you must die in order to be powerful. You must be weak and humble of heart in order to, to, uh, uh, conquer your enemy. You must love your enemy. So it's like, yeah, in order to grow big, you must focus small. Yeah. Yeah. Now how with Andrew ministries, so you're, are you, uh, actually like running groups, Everett, or are you kind of helping others get things off the ground? What does that look like these days? All the things. Um, <laughs> so one of the, the beautiful things I think that uh, uh, that I've really enjoyed is that I've never stopped working in the trenches in 16 years of ministry. Awesome. So I, I'm still running small groups. Um, I just recently, I 
Andrew Ministries blew up to the point where I went full time with it during the pandemic. And uh, so I said, I'm retired from parish ministry. I'm never going back to parish ministry. Uh, I don't need to go back to parish ministry. And now I'm back in parish ministry. So, and I literally said that this is a whole new thing in my life, but I literally had said to the Lord, uh, I was like, I'm done with parish ministry. I'm burnt out, et cetera. And he just called me back into it. So I'm back, back in a Ave Maria parish in in Parker. um, And we're we're building um, small groups. Uh, So, So that's the uh, intention, but, um, but yeah, so Andrew Ministries, I'm also full-time with the, the work I do with, with Andrew Ministries is coaching and consulting specifically on, on small group based youth ministry. Okay. Okay. And how, cause I, now I'm in parish ministry, so I can speak to some of the challenges of recruiting leaders to, to help kind of run these ministries. And it, it's interesting how reluctant people are to kind of take that lead. Everett, what can I tell them that uh, to kind of encourage folks to step forward, to, to maybe not overcomplicate the role of someone who's stepping into just, just facilitating a small group, Everett? What's What's the silver bullet here? I know there are often so, isn't one, but I'm just no. Asking. There is no. There's a there's a way to do it where you'll get a yes about fifty percent of the time. Yeah. Uh, okay. And and there's I just had an offsite with my team because I've got a team that works under me right now, and I did all the training for them on here's our 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 rally cry this year in parish ministry is is we're pouring into our volunteers and we're recruiting volunteers. And I, it's funny because this morning I was going into my parish leadership team meeting. My and I said to my pastor, I'm sorry I'm late. I had a coffee chat with somebody, and and he said kind of looked at me and I've been here eight weeks and he's like, how many coffee chats do you have a week? And I said, a lot. <laughs> and and, uh, and he just chuckled at me and I said, because the way that you get volunteers into ministry and find the right people is you invite them out one-on-one and uh, you single them out. Uh, you got to kind of make a criteria of here's what I'm looking for. You single them out. And because if you do a bulletin announcement, a pulpit announcement, a, a whatever it is to, right. to build your ministry, the people that are called to that ministry will not come forward. And I guarantee you, there are yeah. tons of gifted people in the pews that the Holy Spirit has given gifts to that are going unutilized. And I, I, mm-hmm. I'm a very gifted person. I, I like to think and I've got a lot of training in ministry. I've done a lot. Uh, 11 years in living in Denver, I have never once been asked to do anything. Uh, and, um, and especially in my parish and I've come forward even, uh, but the other thing though, I could say of myself is that, yeah, when there's a pulpit announcement asking for help, I don't come forward. I got kids I'm dealing with. It goes in one ear out the other. Like it's not personal. Uh, So when I go out to a coffee chat with someone I call them into mission and I say, you can have a, a, an impact in the life of a young person or whatever it is that I'm trying to recruit for. Um, I see the gifts and talents that you have. Um, can you give a couple hours a week? And, and here's the way we can support you. But the important thing is they're not, hey, I need volunteers for my program. That sounds yeah. desperate and that's not inspiring. The important yeah. thing is, is to say, here's our mission. And you can be a powerful part of that mission and have an impact on the life of a person. Uh, and when I do that, about 50% of the time we get a yes. I'd say 50% it, is pretty good. It's, it's yeah. time consuming to go out one-on-one, but yeah. uh, this, is why, this is why my pastor asked me, he's like, why are you, he didn't ask me why, he knows why I'm out having coffee chats, but he said like, how many are you? I said a lot. I'm having, I don't know, five or six coffee chats a week with people. Wow. Wow. Yeah, but like you said, I, that's Jesus's love is personal. So mm-hmm. why 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 should ministry look any different? Yeah, I mean, it needs it needs to be personal. Um, 
you know, Everett, we're coming to the end of our time together. And I often ask my guests, if you could just leave us with a word of hope and encouragement, especially for those who are in the trenches, who are heading into a new faith formation year, who might feel maybe a little discouraged or maybe a little lost, what would you tell them? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, I, the first thing I would tell someone is pray, prioritize your prayer life. Um, please stop committing to, to being to overworking. Uh, I have a, uh, four people that work under me in my parish department right now. And the first thing I did, I've been working here eight weeks. I met with each one of them. I said, show me your schedule. And I started cutting things out of their schedule and said, you don't need to be doing this. You don't need to be doing that. Wow. You, you need to be giving yourself two days off a week here. Let's, let's get you healthy. Yeah. Um, in, yeah. in terms of serving. And I said, and I want to see where your prayer time is each week or each day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, cause you can't give what you don't have. Yeah. Um, the second thing I would say is, is don't be afraid to focus small. That's where the real fruit of ministry is. Um, structure your ministry. So you're spending the majority of your time in relationships with people, um, not running programs. Uh, I have yet to see a program. I see, there are a ton of great programs in the church. There are a ton of great resources. And, and in all honesty, we don't need more. Um, <laughs> there's, if you can think of it, it's been created. Uh, and yet we're still not turning the tide of people leaving the church. We need to invest in relationships with people and then use those programs as tools. But the relationships where, where the real heart of ministry is. Amen. Everett, thank you so much for your time today. Um, may God continue just to bless you, your family, and the good work you are doing to build up the kingdom. God bless you. Thank you. As I reflected on my conversation with Everett, I was reminded of a homily by Pope Francis that I'd recently come across. The Holy Father was preaching to the new group of cardinals in Rome, and he used these two different images of fire, and I'll I'll explain the connection to the interview in just a few moments. But first, this is what Pope Francis had to say. The words of Jesus in the very middle of the Gospel of Luke pierce us like an arrow. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. With those words found in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord calls us once more to follow Him along the path of His mission. A fiery mission, like that of Elijah, not only for what He came to accomplish, but also for how He accomplished it. In this way, the Lord wants to bestow on us His own apostolic courage, His zeal for the salvation of every human being without exception. He wants to share with us His magnanimity, His boundless and unconditional love, for His heart is a fire with the mercy of the Father. This is the same powerful fire that impelled the Apostle Paul in his tireless service to the gospel, in his race, his missionary zeal constantly inspired by the Spirit and by the Word. It is the fire, too, of all those men and women missionaries who have come to know the exhausting yet sweet joy of evangelizing, and whose lives themselves become a gospel, for they were, before all else, witnesses. This, brothers and sisters, is the fire that Jesus came to bring to the earth, a fire that the Holy Spirit kindles in the hearts, hands, and feet of all those who follow Him. Then there is that other fire, that of the charcoal. The Lord also wants to share this fire with us, so that like Him, with meekness, fidelity, closeness, and tenderness, this is God's style, we can lead many people to savor the presence of Jesus alive in our midst. A presence so evident, albeit in mystery, 
that there is no need even to ask, Who are you? For our hearts themselves tell us that it is He, it is the Lord. This fire burns in a particular way in the prayer of adoration, when we silently stand before the Eucharist and bask in the humble, discreet, and hidden presence of the Lord. Like that charcoal fire, His presence becomes warmth and nourishment for our daily life. What does this twofold fire of Jesus, a fire both vehement and mild, say in a special way to me and to you? I think it reminds us that a man of apostolic zeal is impelled by the fire of the Spirit to be concerned courageously with things great and small. Again, that is from a homily by Pope Francis, and as I listened to Everett, I considered how small group ministry and the movement of one disciple at a time is like that image of the charcoal fire. It's where we draw close to Jesus in this in this more intimate way, and we hear His words, and we know that He is listening so closely to us, and we're just resting in His presence with no schedule or agenda apart from the program of His love. And I hope that you can encounter Christ next to the charcoal fire in the quiet moments of the week when some of the noise has settled down and you have a chance to remember and respond to the fire of the Holy Spirit that blazes within you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next week as we continue to discover the beauty of Christian discipleship. Until then, stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.